Hello there, and thanks for listening in to our Die of Matthew study. Die of Matthew is the dive study that began it all. Throughout February of 2019, lives were changed and the scriptures came alive to a group of about 50 people as they dove into the book of Matthew, all 28 chapters in 28 days. It moved at a fast clip, but even with that rigorous pace, it became clear that it was worth pursuing an ongoing ministry based on these studies. This is how Dive Collective began. Our new dive studies will be formatted differently, but the process of inductive study remains the same. So as you listen through the book of Matthew, know that we are waiting to welcome you into our current live dive studies where we engage with our Bible study members and dive in at a manageable pace for study. You can find everything you need to know at divecollective.org under our studies tab. Enjoy your time in Dive Matthew, and we hope you'll join us in real time soon. So welcome to Dive Matthew, where we're going to be doing 28 chapters of Matthew in 28 days. For the first study, you're going to want to download our dive guide at www.divecollective.org in our shop under free downloads. Dive studies are our version of inductive Bible study. This particular study of Matthew was the first one we did back in 2019. I hosted that dive guide in a different format on a different website at the time, but now if you want to join in and see how to do a dive study before committing to join us live, you'll want to go ahead and go to divecollective.org to download and get started. So we're going to go ahead and read through the ninth chapter of Matthew. If you'd like to skip ahead because you've already read the chapter, you can go ahead and do that now. You're going to want to join back in at approximately 5 minutes and 30 seconds. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Just then, some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a stretcher. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Have courage, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the scribes said to themselves, He's blaspheming. Perceiving their thoughts, Jesus said, Why are you thinking evil things in your hearts? For which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins... Then he told the paralytic, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. So he got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and gave glory to God, who had given such authority to men. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the toll booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now when he heard this, he said, It is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then John's disciples came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? The time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one patches an old garment with unshrunk cloth because the patch pulls away from the garment and makes the tear worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the skins burst, the wine spills out, and the skins are ruined. No, they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. As he was telling them these things, suddenly one of the leaders came and knelt down before him, saying, My daughter just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. So Jesus and his disciples got up and followed him. Just then, a woman who had suffered from bleeding for twelve years approached from behind and touched the end of his robe, for she said to herself, If I can just touch his robe, I'll be made well. Jesus turned and saw her. Have courage, daughter, he said. Your faith has saved you. And the woman was made well from that moment.
When Jesus came to the leader's house, he saw the flute players in a crowd lamenting loudly. Leave, he said, because the girl's not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. Then news of this spread throughout that whole area. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men approached him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I can do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, Let it be done for you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. Then Jesus warned them sternly, Be sure that no one finds out. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout that whole area. Just as they were going out, a demon-possessed man who was unable to speak was brought to him. When the demon had been driven out, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowds were amazed, saying, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He drives out demons by the ruler of demons. Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. We are focusing on the first part of this chapter, or at least I am focusing on the first part of this chapter in my observations and interpretations. I'm really excited about this one because this format is a little bit different for me, because part of this study actually came in reverse. There was some application, something that I lived in my life recently that shed light on parts of scripture that I've observed, but never been able to fully understand. And I think I understand them in a new way. So we're going to get to that. I just want to hold you in a little bit of suspense on that before I jump into that observation, interpretation, and application. But first, what I want to talk about is Matthew uh, this is, I don't know that I ever remember seeing, I don't remember ever really reading or looking closely at Matthew's entrance into the, mm-hmm. onto the scene and that Jesus came upon Matthew collecting taxes mm-hmm. and then he called him and Matthew immediately gets, leaves. He does the thing. And follows him the way that all of his disciples had been. And I thought about, it was funny because I had just been writing in my observations or in my interpretation, I guess, about how Jesus had just come from casting out demons and he had gone back to his hometown. And I, in my wanderings, as I had made those observations, I was thinking about like, what was Jesus feeling? If he was equally God and man, what man, what part of him as a man was experiencing that rejection that like I'm God and I'm doing these great mm-hmm. things and I'm being asked to leave like what what man emotions are happening mm-hmm. in there and how does that play any part in him going home is there was there any comfort for him mm-hmm. in being back in his home hmm. town not that he would have been running away from something hard he's God right but that's kind of where I was just sitting is thinking about him being in ministry, doing this hard thing and then going home. And was there any rest in that? And that's when he comes across Matthew in the toll booth collecting taxes and he calls him to follow him. And I didn't realize that these two things went hand in hand. So Jesus has just called his first tax collector that we know of to be his disciple. And then he's reclining with Mm -hmm. them at the table when the, the Pharisees and scribes confront him about that why mm-hmm. are you sitting with te- pharisees and tax collectors and so here in this interpretation is where i'm seeing matthew is sitting at the table when these pharisees and scribes right. are specifically calling him out like he is the tax collector that they're specifically talking right. about and 
I mean, I'm crying. He's I'm listening cry. to them condemn him. Basically. Yes, and I'm going to cry as I just think about like what that must have been like for Matthew to hear Jesus say, "He's the one I'm here for." Yeah, like he's he's mine. He belongs. You don't. You're the ones that don't belong. Mm-hmm. This one belongs to me. And I just that's like an overwhelming. Um, that's an overwhelming to think about this guy that's just been called, and his first encounter with the living God is that he says. Like you're mine. Yeah. You're the one you're the one that I came for. Mm-hmm. And how jumping if you jump to application, that makes me think about all of the people that we cast aside, all of the people that don't feel like the, they belong, and those are the people that he came for. Mm-hmm. The ones that dress provocatively or the ones that um are at the bars every night or the ones that these are the people that belong. These are the ones that mm-hmm. he came for and that he loves. And that well, if we can communicate that to them, would they all receive, like, would it make them weep? Like it makes me weep mm-hmm. to think of Matthew sitting at that table. Anyways, that's, I love, I love that portion and being able to make that connection between Matthew just being called and Matthew sitting at the table being the tax collector that's being called out by these Pharisees and scribes and hearing for the first time. Like full acceptance. Yeah. He's, I'm, yes, I'm sitting with him because he's mine. He's the one that I came for. Right. Because I was, I mean, this is obvious. You kind of already said it, but Matthew was, I mean, everyone hated Matthew. He was a tax collector. Yes. So he probably had spent his whole adult life just not being very well liked at all. Yes. Yeah. And this famous guy Mm -hmm. comes along and says, he's the one I want to hang out with. Mm -hmm. When When have you ever seen that happen before? Yeah. Or since. I don't know. It's remarkable. So that's that's the first observation, interpretation, and application I wanted to go through before I jump into kind of doing this a little bit backwards. So uh, uh, the portion here that's always sort of troubled me. Okay, Jesus goes to his hometown. And one of the first things they do is they bring a paralytic to him on a mat. And Jesus' first response was, Have courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. That's the very first thing that he says to him. And... I don't know. I would imagine that the rest of us have that first thought, which is like, I mean, he's paralyzed. He's paralyzed. Thanks, Jesus. Right. <laughs> There's clearly other you needs here. Something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and it and it's right almost, because that's why they brought him in the first place. They didn't bring him to have his sins forgiven. Right. They brought him because he was paralyzed. Well, we could assume that for because sure because every yes, right, that's the assumption based on all of the things that Jesus yes. has been doing up to this point. Right. And so Jesus says, "Is have curse and your sins are forgiven." And I think if he had been allowed, he would have brushed his hands and walked away. I mean, we get the impression that he was done mm-hmm. at that point, and we get the impression because he specifically says. The scribes accuse him of blaspheming, and Jesus is addressing their thoughts. Mm-hmm. Perceiving their thoughts. Yep. I kind per- of love that thought. Yep, perceiving their thoughts. Jesus calls their thoughts evil. And he says, which is easier for me to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? And I'm sorry, but every time that I've ever looked at it, I think it's easier to say your sins are forgiven <laughs> to me. Right. Well, especially from our, it's internal. So yes. there's no proof. Right. Like anybody could say that and no one would really know. Right. right. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So that's, I look at that and think, I'm, this is all mixed, this is all mixed up and hard to understand. And so then he says, so that you may know, and mm-hmm. he's directing this to the scribes. He says, so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he turns and speaks directly to the paralytic and says, get up, take up your stretcher and go home. 
And the crowds give glory to God who had given such authority to men. Those are the observations that Jesus tells the paralytic that his sins are forgiven. And as far as he's concerned, the work is done. Mm-hmm. And then he heals him and enables him to walk for the scribes in order to prove to them that he has that he the authority forgive sin. to forgive sins. Mm-hmm. So the healing was for the scribes and not for the paralytic. Mm-hmm. So to me, again, this is the first year that I think I've ever been able to put words to why this would have been the case, why Jesus would have been done when he says, take courage, your sins are forgiven. Because I feel like I've lived the backstory of this. I feel like I have experienced being that paralytic the day before he was brought to Jesus. I have to give you the backstory now in order for you to understand how I've come to this application. I'd gone through a really hard year and I had experienced rejection or what I felt to be a really serious rejection by a very good friend. And I had been working on trying to restore the relationship and everything. I was doing all of the things that I knew to do mm-hmm. to make my heart feel better, to, to be restored. Mm-hmm. Because I was so angry and hurt by this person and I couldn't get to the point of forgiveness. So all of my feelings toward her were bitter and ugly and even though I was doing all the things and praying all the prayers and trying not to relive the past in my head I was doing all the things that I knew to do to reach forgiveness Mm -hmm. and no matter what I couldn't get there I still continued to have these ugly bitter thoughts and it was it was unforgiveness and it was suffocating me like it was awful and I got to a point (laughs) I want to say it was like I think Let's say it was June 10th. I got to the point and I was having a, I was having my quiet time and I really, I finally just, I called out to God basically like prove yourself. Like you say that you, you say that you can make me clean, mm-hmm. but this stain is like embedded in me in a way that I can't get out. So if you actually can't make me clean, then show me because I'm done trying. Right, I, I can't, can't do, do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Like she's everywhere in my thoughts and in my um, reactions. And so anyway, I pretty much just like I laid it bare and I kind of dared him to prove that he was capable of doing and being what he said he was capable of doing and being. So say that was June 10th. I didn't make this correlation until much later, but June 11th, I got really, really sick, really, really fast. I went from getting up in the morning and having my quiet time and having kind of a little uncomfortable feeling in my stomach to by 11 o'clock I was in the emergency room because my abdominal pain was just excruciating pain like I've never had before in my life. That night I almost died. It turned out my liver was failing and I almost died and it was very serious and we got to a point it was like midnight And this person that I was really struggling with had messaged me while I was in my hospital bed and asked me if my daughter, asked me if my daughter could babysit for her. And I responded with, um, I don't know, some simple answer like, yes, she can or whatever. But in my heart, I was thinking, well, at some point she'll know that I was really sick and I didn't tell her. And I don't know, feel bad. I don't know what I was thinking, but there was definitely still like bitterness in my heart toward her. And And at one point I got to... I realized that I might not make it through that. Like I actually might die. And suddenly it became really clear that 
like nothing mattered, like nothing at all that she had ever done or anybody had ever done to me mattered at all. I can't even describe it. It just didn't matter. And so I sent her a message later, like around midnight or one in the morning that just basically said, I'm really sorry. God's shown me unforgiveness or something. I don't know. I don't remember my exact words, but I basically said, I'm really sorry that I have not been, I have not forgiven you and I haven't been able to figure it out, but I wish I could quote it exactly, but I sent her this message apologizing for my unforgiveness. And then shortly after that, we decided that we really wanted to call together the people that we knew had a real strong relationship with God and ask them to come pray over us. And so Jeff called her husband and we called a few other people and her husband woke her up and they both came in and they prayed for me. She hadn't even gotten my message. But I had gotten to the, I had already forgiven her by the time she showed up to pray for me. And she spent the entire night along with these other people praying for me, like keeping vigil and praying for me. And it was truly one of the most beautiful experiences of my life. And as I, that relationship was 100% restored at that point. And at some point in the middle of the night, like after I was, um, when they were getting ready to medevac me, I turned and things started to get better. By the time I got to the States, they couldn't figure out why I was there because everything was fine and there were no, there was no signs of liver failure, even though it was clear that I was, the night before I was not okay. But anyway, I got to the States and it was this miracle that God had done in my body. But by the end of the day, I was not appreciative. Like it was almost like (laughs) within 24 hours, I had completely forgotten that God had healed my body, that I had gone through this crazy life and death experience and had my body had been restored. But what I would never and could never and will never forget is that he cleansed my soul. Mm. He cleansed my soul that day. And that's what I needed more than anything, Mm -hmm. even more than my life. The best part was that I was, I was okay again. Like I was free from this throat clenching root of bitterness and anger When I look at this passage, I see clearly a man who was broken over his sin Mm -hmm. and was in knots over his sin. And when Jesus said, take courage, my son, your sins are forgiven, it was done for him. That was all he needed. That's all he needed. He would have been fine if he had never walked again because God had cleansed whatever Mm -hmm. it was that was inside of him that had him in knots that we would never, we could never know Mm -hmm. and will never know. But when Jesus acted like the work was done, the work was truly done. And the restoration of his life was for the glory of him among mm-hmm. among the masses. And I think that that's true for a lot of people. A lot of people thought and believed. And I know people actually took courage for their own healing because of what God had done in my body, thinking that that was the miracle. Right. But the I know and know, will know forever that the greater mm-hmm. miracle was the soul, soul cleansing work of mm-hmm. of Jesus. So this, that's where I say that like the application really reveals the interpretation rather mm-hmm. than the interpretation and revealing the application. This one works a little bit backwards for me because this passage makes way more sense to me now that I see that the men thought they were bringing him to have him walk again, mm-hmm. but he knew that the deeper healing was, was inside. More. Which I think it reminds me of what we talked about in chapter 8 just about how we get caught up. We miss so much because we get caught up in 
the stuff we can see and touch, yes. the tangible things. So even how you were saying people thought that people were encouraged because God healed your, God healed your body mm-hmm. and they have no idea the bigger thing that he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We miss, I think we miss sometimes the spiritual stuff because we are human. Yes. And I'm just, one more thing. It makes me think of when we talked this past summer at the last Illuminate the Retreat, we talked about how when Jesus says, you will do even greater works than these, mm-hmm. he's healing the, he's healing people and he's doing these crazy, supernatural, superficial, supernatural miracles all over Judea. When he says you'll do even greater works than these, like when he, what he's talking about is the soul work that mm-hmm. we get to do of his, that like we're bringing back people, we're bringing people back to life, mm-hmm. not necessarily physically, but when we introduce them to Jesus and the saving work of the gospel, like we're, we are bringing we people life. And, yeah. Yes. We're like eternal saving soul life yeah which is so much more valuable than any of this physical life Mm -hmm. that we cling to yes we get to do greater works than than these because of the holy spirit in Mm -hmm. us i don't know it's magnificent thanks for listening to this episode of dive matthew if you enjoyed our version of inductive bible study and want to join our community of people all working on the same book of the bible together come check us out at divecollective.org and sign up for one of our current live dive studies We believe you'll find a welcoming community, one where you'll be challenged, inspired, and uplifted. Come and see.